Welcome to the Trinity Western Chapel podcast. As a vibrant part of life at TWU, Chapel creates opportunities for us to engage with God's story of redemption in Jesus Christ through His Word, prayer, and worship. We're glad you're listening and hope that you encounter God's heart for you and the world. Welcome to Chapel. Uh, I'm Reverend James Ellis III, no middle name, and I'm excited. Uh, You guys are familiar with Dr. Temple Smith. She's already shared uh, two sermons for Chapel uh, as we've been in the book of James. And so we're just going to have a conversation. I thought it would be good, especially during Black History Month, for us to check in with her and just talk about sort of some of what her experiences have been, you know, as being African-Americans in predominantly white Christian spaces. Just, uh, we're just going to talk about uh, some of the, the high highs and, and maybe some of the, the challenges uh, about about that experience. So, uh, Dr. Smith, how are you doing in the snowy town of Holland, Michigan? I'm doing good in the snowy town of Holland. <laughs> I have a dog, James, who is like oh, not doing good with the stay at home. You know, he, he is like taking ownership of my life. But other than that, I have uh, enjoyed um, the snow. It's cold, but you can bundle up and you can make it okay. So other than that, all is well. There you go. Hey, well, so, um, you know, you've transitioned to a a bit of a different role now, but you've been in higher ed, particularly Christian higher ed for a number of years. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, in in Holland, Michigan, the the way I describe it to folks is uh, it's predominantly white, it's Dutch, uh, it's wealthy, and... um, and it's reformed, and uh, I'm not any of those <laughs> those things. So I'm just curious for you, you know, serving in in Christian higher ed and being in those predominantly white spaces. Uh, what is a uh, what is what, what's your experience been like? Uh, you know, um, an older woman in my life one time said that when you navigate spaces that are predominantly white, you can feel like a poppy seed in a bowl of rice. You stand out completely. And and by that, I mean, there are just some cultural nuances that you you, you miss. I liken it to this. And, and because we have such a collegiate audience, many who are RAs and um, have really lived in the residence hall life, this is what I mean by that. It's, this, it's the constant uh, cold switch of life so that you can get into um, a, 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 a social rhythm or cadence in which you can participate and be a part but you're conscious that you have to do that. So for for the collegiate audience, I want to put it in terms that you can understand and keep the conversation to such a um, objective, open, transparent level. When I was um, a freshman, I was so excited because I heard about the concept of an RA, someone who's going to be like a big sister facilitating. This is how I likened it. They're going to facilitate activities. I'm going to bond with the girls and It was true. And we had a very vivacious, energetic RA. And I remember being a freshman and because I had a class, I was coming to the floor activity late, just a couple minutes late. We were going to go to a floor dinner. We were going to go to the the dining hall together, but we were going to do this icebreaker first, James. So when I get on the floor, 
I see all the girls in the lobby and I can quickly get the gist of the game that they're playing. Um, the task was to describe a, um, describe a movie uh, without telling the title. And by way of description, they were going to guess your movie. And there were movies on everyone's back, so you could kind of see the little dyad groups and pairs doing this, and it was fun. Well, this is what I mean. As soon as I got there and I saw everyone else's movie, I changed mine. I was going to say the color purple. Come on, But now. when I saw, <laughs> I was a freshman. So when I saw all the movies, I changed it to my best friend's wedding with Julia Roberts because I knew they would get that. They probably would, would not have seen The Color Purple or a couple of other movies or sitcoms that I could think of. And so I found myself constantly being, being aware of, I'm changing things to fit an audience because I want to be a part, I want to fully participate. And the funny thing is I know how to do that but I was thinking if all those students got dropped off at an HBCU, I don't know if they could have switched their movie. It's not necessary for their survival. And so that's what I was thinking about. And I think when you're in those religious spaces, you come and do the same thing by way of culture, by way of your um, familiarity with hymns and music and the way that's going to be administered by the way the 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 order of service is going to unfold you're you're aware that you're going to sort of pivot so that you can be a part be, a, be belong and um participate yeah no that's that's a great a great story i think that illustration fits really well and and to your point you know it's it's students that end up having to do that code switch um, and have to pivot and, and be nimble, um, you know, with cultural dexterity and, and, and theological flexibility. Um, but it's also staff and faculty, you know, um, as an adult, you come into these spaces and you're, you're constantly adjusting and readjusting. And, you know, it's sort of just like audio and stuff on Zoom. It's, it's recalibrating all the time, you know, just kind of in the background. And I think, um, yeah, that can be a struggle for faculty and staff, you know, as you are in predominantly white spaces as a black scholar or a scholar of color or someone who's on staff, um, just because you're adjusting, you know, you're, you're like kind of working overtime just to, just to exist. But your white, you know, brothers and sisters in Christ are not ex at all having to exert that same kind of energy. No. Um, <laughs> um, and, and I know that a lot of times when we begin to have conversations like this, um, the, the underpinning or the emotive part of the conversation is, well, there are times I have to change and do things too. If I'm the only guy in a group of girls, then I have to do that same thing or vice versa. Or if I'm around a, a, um, a population of older people, then maybe I have to be aware of intergenerational differences and sort of get into the decade level conversation. But the difference is that um, it's not all the time. There is the, the what, what we're talking about is the frequency and the chronicity of navigating this type of thing. And so when I talk to my students, it's like um, we all have a job interview persona. Uh, we have an audience, we have a goal, we know what we want to do. We're on this job interview and we have some idea of what our audience is expecting. So we put on our job interview clothes. We have our job interview voice. We have our job interview answers. 
But when that job interview is over, you're not your job interview self anymore. So imagine if you were your job interview self all the time. Your job interview self walking into the shower, your job interview self going to class, your job interview self in line at the dining hall, your job interview self raising your hand in the classroom to talk. You were this job interview person and it's a part of you, but it's not, it's not, it's not you all the time. It's a facet of your personality, but when you're in predominantly white areas and the, and the culture is so, um, it it, it, it it is um dominating in the way that it's made up then you you're, you're doing that you're you're engaging that part of your personality more than others this is what we call assimilation properly it is the cyclic cycle of assimilative traits to fit into a population whose culture is different than yours and if you want some type of uh, familiarity if you want some type of comfortability you begin to do that so much that over time the other parts of your personality or the other nuances, they're ill, they're ill-shaped, they're ill-warped now. You haven't connected with them enough. You you actually assimilate over into the dominant culture. And I think for a lot of white students, by 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 sheer uh, numerical presence, that's you just don't have those cultural stressors unless you deliberately insert yourself somewhere like a HBCU or a urban urban neighborhood. You're not going to have this uh, cultural demarcation of uh, references, of posters, of TV shows, of language, of um, the emotional expression. You have to do that on purpose. Yeah, yeah. No, you're you're exactly right. I. When I talked to uh, uh, Vince Bantu the other day, part of what I, I told him is um, I said, I think you should get hazardous pay uh, if you're a person of color in these predominant spaces. And you can say the same thing in, in church life. You know, I've pastored, you know, in predominantly white spaces as well and in, uh, you know, congregations. And yeah, there's a there's a taxation on on your temperament, your personality, um, you know, your even your ability to see people that look like you, you know, certain positions and whatnot. Um, there's a thing that you give up. And um you know, it, you, you can have a separate conversation about the call of Christ and how we, you know, are ministers of reconciliation. And so God calls us into those spaces at times. But it's it's something that you, I see people of color doing. I don't necessarily see uh, white colleagues, you know, go, going to an HBCU or, you know, having choosing those kinds of experiences all the time. Uh, not majority, but yeah. unfortunately, the way that certain occupations or or, or educational attainment levels are stratified, that's going to be a part of the Black experience. Uh, by the time you enter into a terminal degree level or a PhD or a professional level, most of those institutions are predominantly white as well as the faculty. So there's a book called Black Fatigue, and it talks about what this is like over the course of a lifetime. What kind of cumulative stressors emerge and show up um, um, physically or in, in impact of the physiology of carrying this. You know, James, a couple of summers ago, I went to Ghana to teach intro sociology or, or began to think about a globally integrated course. And um, we were thinking about what classes to teach. And I was struck by the culture of Ghana because Ghana is 97% <laughs> um, African right? So 90 to 97% and Christian. 
and it's a part of their material culture. You know, it, it's a part of it. So we have supermarkets and their supermarkets are called things like Christ Cares Grocery Store. You know, Jesus provide Uber service. You know, they're very intentional in this. And so being there, I, I, I didn't realize how much my mind processes race until I wasn't processing it anymore. And I found myself being surprised, like, oh, that's right, the billboard signs. Look at the people on the billboard signs. They're Black. The police officers, okay, they're Black. Um, newspaper circulars, uh, commercials, ads uh, on, on, on small products inside of stores, uh, high-ranking positions, blue-collar positions, everything was black and I was thinking I understand everything there wasn't a restaurant I went in that I didn't know what 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 what, what seasoning this was what food this was and this is a global experience but being an African-American I, I still understood it all little little kids were outside playing hand circle games and I knew that I, I knew those games I, I understood it all I was not operating from an outsider perspective. Everything advantaged me, everything. Uh, the way that I could uh, read menus, the way that I could navigate in the marketplace, the way that uh, examples, books, everything catered to my experience, everything, everything. Down to small, new, everything. Hair products, everything catered to my experience. And I was thinking, so is this what it's like? This is very comfortable. I'm not working hard. I'm not thinking hard. Is this what the experience is like? Um, is this the height of privilege in, in terms of race? Someone else would have to think really specifically about what this means. And I'm not. I am totally relaxed. And so I, re I remember thinking, um, wow, I deal with race on levels I hadn't even processed. I, it took going to Ghana to have such a real culture shock in terms of this is the degree to which race permeates our experiences transactionally, educationally. Um, it, it was very interesting to have that experience. And when I asked the professors there, okay, what class could we teach together? Maybe we can teach race. They were like, why? I said, well, you know, we could teach race in society. We don't have variance in the race. We can teach ethnicity. Do you mean ethnicity? We can talk about differences within the group, but we don't have a different race. That was mind-blowing for me to hear that. Like, they're like, we have different tribes of Africans. Everything's African. We can talk about the different tribes. We can talk about men and women. We can teach diversity. What you mean, race? <laughs> they were like, no, we, we should teach intro sociology. That's what we're curious about. And that was a moment for me thinking um mm, they don't they don't process it their experience is not mine yeah no that's uh that, that makes a lot of sense i think um you know as i've interacted with um african students over the years um they, they have the same kind of cognitive dissonance you know they come over to the states or or even now here in canada and they're they're like i don't i don't get what all the hubbub is about because where they're from 
it's like, yeah, everybody look, <laughs> looks like me, you know? Um, yeah, I think, um, I, you, you know, we, we've taken students to New Orleans, you know, in the past, and it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing to take, you know, a group of predominantly white students to a city like New Orleans, you know, steeped in uh, the, the, the kaleidoscope of traditions that, that they have there. And um, you go to Franklin Avenue Baptist Church, you know, in New Orleans in the Lower Ninth, and a predominantly, you know, African-American church, large church, and the students come in and the, the songs are going and the people are shouting and, and you can just see it on their face. Like they're just like freaking out, you know, but it, it is, <laughs> it's like the first time in their life. We, we debrief afterwards and you realize it's the first time in their life. They'll, they'll tell you that they've ever been in a religious experience, much less anywhere else where they very visibly and immediately are a minority, you know? And, and so it's, mm -hmm. it's a good opportunity to kind of say, Hey, well, this is just a small drop in the bucket. This is like, this doesn't even really touch the surface, but this is an idea of what it feels like to be, you know, a person of color in, in the United States and in most spaces, you know, particularly at your college or university, like all the time, you know. Um, I think, uh, how do your students respond to that? How do the debriefings go? What, what, you know, um, because I think at times there's furious temptation to really dismiss difference that creates emotional discomfort. Yeah. Like, no, it's not that different. Or, you know, well, everybody deals with being the other at some time. And what I would really want, what, what I would really challenge, privilege is such a loaded word. It's the new abstract noun for cussing. <laughs> it's like a swear word. Uh, you know, because it's supercharged with this, with, with this belief that I have struggles too. My life is not perfect. And here comes this person telling me I'm privileged. We're not talking about the absence of problems. That's germane to the human experience. Mm -hmm. Oprah has problems. You know, <laughs> uh, you know everybody has problems. Uh, we, you know, a, a celebrity, no one's, no, one's, no one's exempt from that. Uh, you know, race doesn't create a monopoly on the absence of problems. That's germane to the human experience. What we're talking about is the arsenal in your human cachet to navigate and generate options to hurdle those problems. We're talking about the chronicity and type of problems that will be presented to you. Uh, those things have very stratifying consequences by race. There are some issues. There are some frequencies. There are some types and archetypes of issues that white students are not going to experience, particularly if they are in a white environment. That's like, I'm not going to have any of those types of micro stressors in Ghana. I'm not going to struggle to find hair products in Ghana. I'm not going to struggle to find everything fits me there. Everything is, is culturally for me there, for example. And, and so, you know, when, when we think about that, it's unsettling. But I would understand that if a white girl were in Ghana, she is going to have some trouble. She's going to have trouble finding somebody to do her hair. She's going to have trouble perhaps maybe describing the type of things she wants to eat, particularly if she's been in a very, very predominantly white community, town. All of that's getting ready to be different. You're going to have to change your uh, attitudes, some of your beliefs, some of your tastes, some of your consumption, because what's available by way of stores, commerce, 
transactions, they're catered to a particular culture. So no, if we're talking about the frequency and the chronicity of stressors because of race, not the absence of problems macro. Privilege does create an ease and a way in, and it's a form of agency that you're not working for. It's it, it's entrance. It is entrance without effort on some levels, just as fluidly as I walked around, not having to study, think, uh, traverse certain things, the church environment, the songs. There wasn't a hymn or song in the book that I didn't know. I knew them all. I knew, I knew it when they played the first chord. I knew what the song was going to be. All of that, um, it created the, the it, it reduced the kind of manpower and mental gymnastics I have to exercise to kind of navigate social settings. And so I, I think it's difficult when we have a place like, a, you know, America that, you know, really free democracy, all these things. It's troubling to think that there are restrictions on someone's personhood because of race in a place so free, so liberal, so progressive, so developed. But it's true. There are serious day in, day out uh, restrictions. Yeah, yeah. No, I I think that's a good point, and and I would say you know even even in Canada, you know, um, I think you know people can have lots of conversations about uh, Canada and the U.S. and there's there's some shared experiences. There's also some different experiences, but um, it's it's been cool to see that you know Canadians celebrate Black History Month in February just like like mm -hmm. we are, and so that's that's been good um, to be able to talk about these things. But it's it's one of those things that it's like these are these are ongoing conversations. You know, none of this stuff gets solved overnight. Um, people getting outside of their comfort zone and being able to sort of engage uh, at, at deeper levels. So, I, I appreciate you, Dr. Temple, uh, middle name <laughs> Day Smith, to um, take some time with us uh, this morning. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We hope to worship together with you soon at our next broadcast online at livechapel.twu.ca every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 11 a.m. You can also stay connected with us by following at TWU Chapel and at TWU Student Ministries. Much love.